This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Life's too short not to visit Uzbekistan. Life is also too short to not thoroughly enjoy a fantastic win at home against Spurs, to go eight games unbeaten in the Premier League and six points clear of the drop zone. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Burnley won, Tottenham Hotspur nil. That's the goal Burnley needed. Yeah, we said maybe they'd score from a set piece. Fantastic delivery, wasn't it? From Dwight McNeil into the six-yard box, into the danger area. No mistake there. Fantastic goal. Yeah, we saw uh, Pochettino complaining on the touch. I'm not sure he's complaining about there. Like a fantastic header. Absolutely no chance the keeper in off the bar. And it's uh, 1-0 to Burnley. Against a run of play, we have to say, in the second half, Phil, but uh, Burnley have uh, done really well in the first 45 minutes and got the rewards for it there. And he's equalised. Oh, that'll be controversial. They're going to go ballistic there. He's, take, he's taken the throw. Well, he's taken it quickly. He's taken about 10 yards away from where it should be. equalised. Now then, are we going to see where this throw was taken from here? Yeah, the ball's gone out in the in the uh, Tottenham half. half. I think it's the halfway line. And he's taking it from one, two, three. Oh, yeah. it's five yards and in the advance. Rest. And the rest. It's really poor from Mike Dean, you know. Is that the referee's responsibility or the linesman's or a bit of both? It's, it's, they're a team. They should be uh, picking that up between them, shouldn't they? Yeah, it's poor. It really was poor. Burnley 2, Tottenham Hotspur 1. Ashley Barnes, he's ninth of the campaign. Could be a big goal. Yeah, Ashley Barnes again. Barnes and Wood on the score sheet. Absolutely brilliant from Burnley. Ball fell really nicely for him inside the box. No hint of offside and he's just slotted it away. Hello and welcome to the No Name Never podcast where we are coming off Turf Moor after an absolutely outstanding win against Spurs. A game that was just so important for so many reasons and it's kept the Clarets on this ridiculously unbeaten run at eight games now since Boxing Day and what a massive three points to take us towards the end of the season puts us um, as I'm walking off Turf Moor now it puts us on 13th place on 30 points now looking at the table Southampton are currently sat in um, 
17, 18th place and they've got 24 points. Now they're going to go away to Arsenal later on today. So let's assume that the results go for us and Arsenal beat them. That puts us six points clear of relegation as at the end of this weekend's game. Um, I don't even know where to start with that. And we've got so much to talk about when we get back in studio mode on, on uh, Monday with the boys. But for me, I don't know how you think, that was a performance of the season for me. From the very first kick of the game, they looked strong. There was a real shape about them. Every player knew where they were. They just were resilient. But more importantly, rather than just sitting back and inviting pressure, they actually created a lot of chances themselves and they they showed some real positive play. Um, for all of his criticism that he's had so far this season, I thought Woody was absolutely outstanding today, to, to the point where actually he made Ashley Barnes look a little bit quiet. Um, but to have the position where both of our two strikers score, what a partnership those two are having at the moment, and have the rest of the team just play so, so well um, was just a result. And, and you can't even... I don't think you can ever claim that we actually like looked out on that one and, and got ourselves a result we didn't deserve. I think we absolutely deserved it. Um, what have we got to talk about? So there's all sorts happened in the game. There's, well, I guess Tom Heaton, if we look back at there, he pulled off a really good save again, didn't he? We've got to look at the decision by Deitch to keep... Brady and Goodmanson on the bench and carry on with McNeil, which we expected anyway, but to keep um, Hendrick in that right midfield position, which I think my view is that that was the right decision and paid off. I think we looked a lot stronger um, with Hendrick in that role. Um, and actually, how wonderful to have a position where we can change on the 75th minute mark both of our wingers. That's never happened to us ever. Um, what else do we have to talk about? I think there was the um, decisions for their goal, Danny Rhodes taking about 56 yards advantage from the free kick, but uh, sorry, from the throw-in. But then we'll also have to need to look at the defence there as well. I think there's quite a few of our defenders switched off for their goal. Um, an outstanding performance again by McNeil. D- there's just so much. We'll unpick it all when we get back um, at the weekend. Um, sorry, after the weekend. I'm all of a flutter. Um, but yeah, fantastic result, fantastic win, eight games unbeaten, 30 points, I think we are safe. And poof, just like that, we are back in studio mode as promised. Natalie here, joined by Statman Dave and Robert to carry on where we left off straight after that fantastic victory at home on Saturday to have a look at it in a little bit more detail and just generally relish in what was a fantastic weekend. Um, before we go any further... I do want to just say a special thanks to um, Darren Bentley and Burnley Football Club for very kindly letting us use Statman Dave's commentary from the Clarets player recording at the weekend to open this podcast. It was uh, very kind of him and obviously um, we are very grateful. I thought it was absolutely fantastic hearing uh, Dave and, and Papa Bird cheering those goals and and just that reaction gave me goose pimples to listen to it all over again. Um, it's it, 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 great to watch those videos and I think uh, one thing Dave Dave reminded me of before we started recording tonight was that Claret's player videos are now all free. They're not subscription anymore. So if you haven't 
sort of signed on and, and uh, checked out some of those. They're definitely worth a watch because they are funny. Um, Dave, you certainly got yourself very excited by that, by that winner. How were you feeling on Saturday after that game? What a fantastic result. Uh, elated is the word for it, yeah. It was a fantastic performance and uh, well well deserved three points at the end of it. Um, I've seen one or two comments about um, uh, Burnley's performances. We've had other wins against the so-called Big Six sides before, but a lot of them were back to the wall. You think about um, you know Liverpool at home beating two nil, eighty percent possession, all the shots Liverpool had. Man City was the same. The Manchester United home win, even the Chelsea game. You know we had a fantastic uh, forty-five minutes at Stamford Bridge. Um, and then, you know, second half, even though they were down to 10 men and then nine, it was it was back to the wall stuff. That was probably the most complete performance, I think. And, uh, you know, really well deserved three points for Burnley against Tottenham. Yeah, it really was. I think some of the stats were, I was thinking about you off the game, actually, when I was reading a lot of these, were were really, really impressive because we've once again broken our record. And that's now eight games unbeaten in the top flight since 1966. That's I think we're matching that record. But I think more interestingly for me, I was looking at a stat at the weekend, Dave, and looking at the losses in the Premier League in, in 2019. Now, obviously, we know that we've not lost a game since that awful Boxing Day uh, result against Everton. But out of all of the Premier League sides in 2019, um, we've lost no games at all. City have lost one. Liverpool have lost two. Spurs have lost three. No, sorry, Spurs have lost two. And Arsenal have lost three. There's only us and United that have, have not lost any games in 2019. Now, that is just taking aside the the beginning of the season and, and everything else, you you know, all the narrative you can um, look at with Burnley Football Club. Dave, that's an incredible start. It is, and it's a, it's a real turnaround as well, as you say, from... Uh... From Boxing Day to to be where we were there halfway through the season on twelve points, um, we've picked up eighteen points in in eight matches. That's another half, you know, the same number of points and half as many again in eight games. So uh, it has been a real turnaround, and it's you know credit to the players for, and the manager for for doing that. And it's it's not been by fluke. Burnley could have easily got more points than we have got. We've had one or two decisions, you know, borderline decisions gone against us late in games where we might have sneaked to. A win in the games where we we drew and and you know Manchester United as well being so close there, um, you know, conceding a couple of late goals when a you know, li- little bit of luck going our way and we may not have uh, done that with a, a soft penalty decision in there as well. So yeah, it's it's been a real turnaround, but it's been a, a real positive place to be around Turf Moor and obviously for the fans going to the away games as well. They've seen some really good, solid Burnley performances and it's a settled side as well. You know, we've gone in there, I think it's six consecutive games without changing the starting eleven. It's a really settled side now um, and it's paying dividends with the results on the pitch. It definitely is. Um, I think for me, there's just an, an atmosphere at Turf, and I actually thought on Saturday it was one of the best atmospheres that I've heard at Turf this season as well. It was it was definitely rocking from the off. Um, it's interesting you talk there, Dave, about how we could have actually had um, some results go better for us. If you look at the Watford and the United games, we could have easily won eight games back to back, which would have just been an incredible feat. Other than, like you say, a little bad, bit of bad luck. Um, going against us but as Dyche always says you hope that these things even itself out by the end of the season and we're going to talk about in a little bit possible good luck and good fortune that's coming our way um Robbie Dave talked then about um just a confidence and an air of of just 
I guess, swagger almost about the side. And I wonder whether that is why Hendrick kept his place in the squad. I think a few people before the game were maybe questioning. Not, not. This is not in a bad way, by the way. I think everybody was, was generally happy with the unchanged side. But I think a few people expected to see Good Munson come straight back in a, a, on that right wing. But Deitch opted to stay with Hendrick, which may have been, uh, I guess unexpected but I thought it was very well justified I thought he was very very strong and gave us a real resilience to that side yeah it looks like Jeff Hendricks sort of found his home he's sort of been used as like a utility player for us you know playing like behind a striker which he never really got the hang of um then when we played in a 4-4-2 he doesn't it looks like he more suits a deeper role in a three but on the right-hand side, he, he does look at home. He, I thought he was terrific. I thought he defended against Danny Rose brilliantly. Um, but just just on the game, I just thought I just thought the team just showed tremendous like character and the spirit. You know, after such a, after going ahead and then conceding such a sloppy hurricane equaliser, we seem to go up another gear. I, I must admit, when it went one-one, I was sort of going, "Oh, here we go again." You know, that sort of same feeling I had at Old Trafford and when we went ahead against Liverpool. And I, f- I feel like we've sort of learned our lesson that maybe we do invite a bit too much too much pressure on ourselves when we go ahead. And I think once the equaliser went in, it's like we sort of stepped up a gear and started going back and sort of kind of went back on the front foot again. And um, I think a, a lot of credit goes to Sean Dyche as well because at 1-1, with 10, 15 minutes to play, he could easily just sort of shut up shop. But he made two attacking, uh, two, yeah, sorry, two attacking subs with Brady and Gummonson coming on. You could argue the like for like, but I, th- I just think it sort of just exposed the fullbacks for Spurs who were left exposed a little bit, and it just it changed the game for us, really. Yeah, it really did. I'm glad you mentioned that, Robbie, because. I can't remember the last time that we actually had four wide men fit, never mind be able to to make two double, a double substitution in a game and actually just replace both uh, both wings. I couldn't agree more on Hendrick if we just go back to that for a second. Um, it feels to me that that's where his place is now. And maybe that has changed the shopping list for the summer. If you look at the team now with the, the four wide men who played on Saturday and swapped around, plus Lennon to come in as well, we have now got some real options on that wing. We've got two on either side, plus Lennon who can probably swap around both, um, which then, if you then look at it, maybe means we need strengthening on the central midfield because we've probably only got... Uh, in fact, I can't think of what else we have got. We've got Westwood and we've got um, Cork in the centre um, who are pretty much set in, in stone as being first-choice starters now. But we don't really have any options there. My view is Defoe will go in the summer um, or you know, we certainly shouldn't be building a team around him on the grounds that he has got fitness questions. And as, as much as I love him, he is a luxury player and I just don't think we can count on him week in, week out. Um, but it's just incredible to see that now my look that in the space of, what, a month after the chance were window closed, we're changing our minds and our shopping list again. Um, Dave, one of the things that I was really impressed at was just the pressing play of Burnley, of our squad. They didn't let the Spurs players settle or play the ball for one second. They marked man for man. They didn't give them a minute's pace. And actually, they didn't let the Spurs midfielders dictate the pace 
at all. Um, and in some times as well, they really forced the Spurs side to to play a long ball, which is hilarious given that's what we're accused of all the time. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Spurs' goal in the end came from sort of a, um, I guess, a long ball being a, a long throw. It was kind of a, a long hoof forward from a from a throw in, albeit from the uh, from the wrong place. I guess we'll come on to that later. Um, but yeah, it, it was yeah putting them off their off their game. They they weren't able to. Um, perhaps play and have the luxury of passing it around like they would against some of the uh, the bigger sides that they may play against, and it you know it, it, they struggled with it to some extent, I think. And it's Burnley defending from the front. You have two players in Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes who they harry, they come back, they drop deep. Um, they're willing to to put in a, a real workload, and you've got four midfielders as well. You've not just got your two central midfielders. You've got Jeff Hendrick and uh, Dwight McNeil as well, who really put in a shift. I'd, I'd be interested in seeing some of the uh, the stats in terms of the ground covered because you know all four across midfield do really put in a shift for Burnley, and I think the way they're playing now. Uh, and, and also, you know, the, the players coming on as well. We've spoken just then about the options in terms of bringing. Um, good Munson on, um, yeah, and also Robbie Brady as well. We've got players in there who, you know, they, they, they're all playing to the same system, but they've got a real work ethic, and it's paying dividends for Burnley, and it definitely paid dividends on Saturday. It certainly did. Um, sticking with you for a little while, Dave. I'm just going to move away from all things Claret for the time being because it would be. I guess strange not to mention the England setup following Saturday's game. Um, Gareth Southgate was once again at Turf Moor. I swear he actually has a season ticket these days. He's at Turf that many times. But I guess if you look at Burnley versus Spurs, it's probably not at all surprising given just how many um, England senior options he has in that squad. So I guess before we look at the Burnley contingent, as England captain, we don't usually focus on opposition players, but how do you think Harry Kane did play on his way back? And I guess particularly that cheeky strike that he tried that, that Heaton saved, saved spectacular was, uh, was 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 definitely some ego, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, there, there weren't too many uh, hints of any uh, hangover from his injury. You know, he, he came in there, he had a shot very early on, uh, just dragged it wide of uh, Tom Heaton's post. And, you know, he might have been struggling to clamber for that if it had gone on target. Um, he's obviously scored the goal um, and had that long-distance shot, which uh, Tom Heaton had a spectacular diving save to his right-hand side, really strong right hand to uh, keep that one out as well. But um, m- maybe in terms of his all-round game, he wasn't... Um, back to 100%, but a, a 90 or 95% Harry Kane's going to be a handful for, for any side. And Burnley did really well to, to marshal him. And to be fair, going back for the away game, the one down at uh, Wembley, it was pretty much the same. You know, Devastating that Burnley conceded that goal late on uh, when it looked like we'd, um, we'd grabbed a point out of the game. But again, Harry Kane didn't have too many chances in that game either. Yeah, you see, Harry Kane's a handful for anybody apart from Benmi. Who has him in his pocket? Um, Robbie, I guess the the one um, Harry Kane incident which really allowed our side and one player in particular to showcase his skills to the watching England manager was that was that strike. Um, Heaton once again just showing an incredible talent, especially given that I don't think he had that much to do on Saturday. I think he had a relatively routine afternoon, but to show that athleticism, to get that palm onto that hurricane shot when nobody else other than Harry Kane would probably have the audacity to try it in the first place. 
for me, and I don't know how you feel, is he now an absolute must to not just be in the squad, but to be the starting keeper for England? Uh, I'm not sure about starting goalkeeper, but he he certainly certainly warrants a, a call up. Um, it's actually interesting because I was speaking to Paul Robinson at work earlier in the week, and I was speaking to him about like who's Burnley's strongest goalkeeper. And he, despite how 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 well Nick Pope's come on, he always 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 says that Tom Heaton is just athleticism and he's just professionalism and he's. Always trying to get better, and even what? How is he now? 30, 31, Tom Heaton, and he just seems to get better. Um, he seems like a better goalkeeper now than he did actually before his injury, which uh, really surprises me. I would definitely agree with that. And me and Mister B were talking about this on Saturday after the game. Um, I think he was concerned that Heaton would maybe not peak again um, after his injury. He was out for such a long time. He had such a frustrating weight on the touchline. But I agree with you, Robbie. He actually looks better. Um, sticking with you, obviously, Southgate had an awful lot of other players to look at. Um, Tarkovsky, we know, has already uh, forced his way into the England side. But there's a couple of other names on there as well. I mean, Jack Corpse has had a call-up. He's been in the squad. And uh, to me, I, I don't know why he's not looking at him still. But is it only a matter of time before young Dwight McNeil gets a look in? I'm surprised I haven't seen reports of him maybe playing for the under-21s. I, I think maybe a senior call is probably a little bit too early. And we need to remember that we need to tell everyone that he's still rubbish. Like we're not having him, not having any other clubs like sitting around <laughs> him. Not having this. No. Everyone, That's everyone such a Burnley word. He's, He's crap. Don't like. <laughs> yes. Can we make a public Rubbish. service announcement right now? Thank you. That Noni never does not in any way endorse the skills of Dwight McNeil. He's a rubbish player and nobody should be interested in him. Um, Robert, I, I completely agree about the under-21s. We know from previous interviews that Southgate still has that preference to towards players who have developed through the England ranks from under-21s and 16s right the way up. He has been forced in recent times to have to use players um, such as Nick Port, for example, who haven't got, and Jamie Vardy as well, who don't have any um, youth experience and no academy. You know, Southgate likes to have a file on these players. He likes to know all about them. So, you know, if he is looking at, at McNeil now and, and recognises that talent, then he should be getting him in that under-21 setup ASAP because that is then going to naturally move him on to, to move into the England squad. I, I just think he's incredible. Um, Dave, is Ben Mee ever going to get a look in? I know Tarkovsky is an incredible talent. I know Michael Keane was an incredible talent. But there is a constant with these players and they play better when they're alongside Ben Mee. And I thought Mee had another absolutely outstanding game on Saturday. But he keeps getting overlooked. He does, and he's not the first player in that position. You look at uh, the likes of uh, Steve Bruce for Manchester United going back a few years. You know, he's he playing for a top side and never got a look in for, uh, for England. Um, it may be one of those things with with Benny never gets the chance. I don't know. It's maybe it comes down to the system as well. If, if uh, Gareth Southgate's still looking to play three at the back, then that might be um, in his mind in terms of wanting to play players who tend to play in that system for their teams as well. Um, I don't know. It's it's one of those things. You know, he he's got the final decision at the end of the day. But um, yeah, I mean, we we've seen what Ben Mee's capable of, and we've seen him alongside. Uh, as you say, um, bringing on really Michael Keane and also um, James Tarkovsky as well. 
And the one constant's been Ben Mee. He's one of those players who you know gives hundred percent every game. He's a real warrior, um, and it, it is a, a shame he's been overlooked so far. And you know, it, like like us, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. And uh, if if Gareth Southgate ever gives him that call, but he was there. He saw it firsthand on uh, Saturday. It's not the first time we know he's been to. Uh, See several games at uh, at Turf Moor as uh, Gareth Southgate, as you say, he's, he's virtually got a season ticket at the place, and he had a lot of players to choose from on um, uh, on Saturday, not just on the Burnley side but also Spurs side as well. I mean, we've we've not even mentioned uh, Ashley Westwood here as well. I mean, is 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 his performance oh, yeah, as well? Um, you know, perhaps that overshadows. I think in terms of his performance, although Jack Cork's been impressive. I think Ashley Westwood's been even more impressive in the Burnley midfield. So is um, is is Gareth Southgate after that sort of player for his midfield as well? So there's there's numerous options for him on uh, on offer. Um, he's the man who's going to decide, and we'll find out. Uh, I guess in a week or so. Yeah, that's a really good point about Westwood actually. And I think if if you if you asked me now and said you can only send one Burnley midfielder to that senior England setup, I would probably choose Westwood over Cork. Yeah. One of the things I think I've been impressed with Westwood recently is that he has replaced that Joey Barton role in terms of leadership and strength on the pitch. He he just goes about his business. He's very um consistent in his approach and he's very reliable in in the balls that he plays and the defensive work that he does as well and I think he's got more of a captain's ability to him than maybe Jack Cork does Jack Cork's an incredibly tricky player and he's a, a very talented player but he's quite an unassuming character and he's quite quiet on the pitch so I wouldn't necessarily put forward Jack Cork as a as a manager uh, sorry as a um uh, a captain type player but Westwood's been really driving that midfield recently and I think since he moved to the right so has Hendrick as well um we did actually also have another international manager at turf on Saturday the Austrian manager was there finally checking out his soon-to-be top scoring amazing international fire them to the Euros the World Cup everywhere they need to go Ashley Barnes um Dave no, actually, sorry, I'll come to you, Robbie, on this one. Um, I saw an absolutely fantastic quote at the weekend, which really, really made me laugh, um, describing a, a, an actually fantastic partnership that has formed this season between um, Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes after quite a slow start. And the quote was that Barnes and Wood are the most unconvincing but deadly strike force in the Premier League. And, OK, there's a, there's a little bit of, of a... <laughs> of needling in there but on the whole I'd take that as tongue-in-cheek um but what an absolutely incredible partnership they've done they've actually scored all eight of the last eight goals that Burnley have scored between them and it's 17 out of 17 when they've started together yeah they've been on a similar run like this I think it was back in the last season towards March April time where the partnership really flourished I think it was like West Ham away Chris would come on and really made an impact. He did the same against Everton as well, where they both scored. And it's they it just seem just to suit one another. I think I think they both I think they both played together at Brighton as well. So they do have that sort of long term understanding together. Uh but I just think Chris Wood, I've got to say he's a completely different player from the player that was starting for us back in September. He he looks he looks like he looks so much quicker. He looks like he has like three yards Extra, a bit like extra pace all the time. He, he just, just every, everything about him. I thought on Saturday was probably his best performance in a Burnley shirt. A ten out of ten performance. 
just the way he ran the channels and held the ball up. And I think his header for the goal is is really, really good as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and to be honest, I was quite surprised that Sky gave Ashley Barnes the man of the match, not because Barnes doesn't deserve it, but I think the two of out of the two of them, I think Wood was probably a little bit stronger than Barnes on Saturday. Um, I, I agree with you. I thought it was an incredible performance. Um, Dave, do you think it's just confidence with Wood or do you think there's something else? Um, I think there's a team confidence as well. I think when when you're playing well as a team, then that sort of this you know it, it goes all the way through the team. Um, I think if we've had issues in in one area of the pitch, then that can affect players, and that that may be what happened um, earlier on in the season. You know, we did struggle um, in the first half of the season, and it's probably quite a, a dispiriting job at times when you're not getting the service up front. And there were, you know, we were struggling to get service to the uh, to the front players in in those games. Um, I mean, going going back to the strikers, or in terms of um, uh, Ashley Barnes. We haven't mentioned Ashley Barnes in terms of the England setup. He is <laughs> a little bit cagey in his interview. He still qualifies for um, England, being born in England, and also uh, for Austria through his uh, grandparents, I believe. Um, and although Franco, Franco Foda was there for Austria watching the match, um, maybe he'll need to nip in and get in there quickly to get ahead of Gareth Southgate. That would be hilarious, wouldn't it? I don't think I've ever wanted a player to be called up for England more than Ashley Barnes. What an absolutely incredible journey he will have been on if he gets there. I remember when we signed him in, in the 2013-14 season, um, when he came in as, as emergency cover because both um, Danny Ings and, and Sam Borks, oh, God, I'm still upset about Sam, um, when they both got injured. Um, and we, we had questions back at the time whether he was strong enough to play in the championship. And he's now one of the most prolific strikers and he's, he's a dangerous striker in the Premier League and a lot of sides would be really happy to have him. Um, I guess if you were Ashley Barnes, you'd maybe choose Austria just on the grounds that you are more likely to play every game if you get into that squad. Whereas his chances of being called up for England and actually playing will be maybe once in a lifetime. I, I don't know. Who knows what Ashley Barnes' international prospects are? Um, or actually ambitions, I guess. Um, well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Obviously, I think that's a unanimous vote from all of us that that was an incredible performance on Saturday. But let's have a look at the certainly the two, well, I guess two of the maybe four controversial moments in the game. And, of course, we are referring to goal number one, Burnley going ahead, and goal number two, Spurs equalising. Um this is probably unsurprising given that this is a Burnley podcast, but I think that the first goal is less controversial than the second. Um, I'm pretty sure that all the Spurs podcasts out there will completely disagree and say that I was... In fact, I've actually seen some um, news reports that don't even mention the controversy around the second goal. It's like, well, you know, top six bias. Um, Robbie, we know now from watching ridiculous slow-mo every single angle possibly and repeat it about 500 times that the ball did indeed touch Jeff Hendricks it was technically a goal kick in time when you were watching the game did you know which one it was could you even tell and secondly how do you feel about the game moving to that level of perfection in game uh well live live, I I could see quite clearly that it did come off Hendrick um but like obviously I'm a Burnley fan, so I'm going to call for the corner. Uh, but I've got to say I, th- I do sort of agree. I think if VAR comes into that like next year or whatever, I think it does sort of take it away a little bit. I think that you don't want the you don't want like video assistant referees going to be 
stopping the game over every little incident and because I, I don't see that as like a a refereeing mistake or a linesman's mistake. It's, it's incredibly tough to call. You just have to be in the right position to see it. It's just two players going for, for a 50-50 ball, essentially, and it does come off Jeff Hendrick last, unfortunately. But correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but I always thought that in situations like that where it's practically impossible to the naked eye to be able to see it, the advantage goes to the attacking player, doesn't it? Or have I made that up? I'm not sure in terms of specific ruling. I know that... Um... The, the the officials have given the decision their their instinct at that time they get a split second to to see it and decide and and you know they've given a, a corner for it we know now as you say from you know, multiple slow motion replays and about six angles that it it wasn't the case um you can probably forgive them for 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 getting that one wrong but that that's a less obvious mistake as you say than for the one where uh, after that where um, uh, Tottenham had a throw in. Um, in their own half and ended up taking it about eight or nine yards further down the pitch right in front of the fourth official so when we're talking about mar- fine margins yeah the first one was fine margin and, and we've come out uh, it's, it's benefited Burnley for that one but for the second one there's a, a, a massive gulf in terms of the uh, the benefit that, that Tottenham have got for that taking the long throw um, you know, eight nine yards further forward than, from where it should have been um, so the officials have, have got that one wrong, uh, massively wrong, whereas the first one is, yeah, very, very marginal. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go on and talk about the second goal in a minute, actually. I think let's just hang fire on the second one for now. But I think, I don't think VAR is actually going to come in and rule on that next season, is it? From what I understand, it's it's only goals and penalties or something to clarify where the fourth official on the line believes that the um, referee has got an absolutely categoric decision wrong. So I certainly don't think things like goal kicks and corners and, and, and things like that will, will get picked up on it. Um, but regardless, regardless of that, uh, Robert, just... How good <laughs> was McNeil's corner that resulted from it? And obviously we got the goal from that one. But I just wanted to pause for a minute before we move on to the second goal. And just, I think we might have peaked at corners. I'm not sure he'll ever, he'll ever deliver one as good as that again. I think it's the only corner that actually beat the first man. <laughs> I think Westwood took one <laughs> in the second half earlier and he just hit the first man. I know Robbie Brady did the same thing when he first came onto the pitch. So maybe Dwight McNeil should take corners more often. <laughs> maybe he should. I did laugh actually when Westwood tried it and uh, he, I think he tried to do exactly the same corner and it failed miserably. And I could almost imagine him saying, lads, like, I've, I've seen Dwight do this. I can, I can do it. I can do it. I, oh, no, no, I can't do it. Um, so, yeah, obviously that, that, did, that did put us 1-0 up and uh, I just... I was absolutely purring over the skill of McNeil to get that in there. Um, obviously, as Dave's started to mention then, Robert, we then move on to the second goal, um, which for us is less controversial, uh, which obviously then got our uh, opposition manager riled at the end of it. Um, so what happens? The ball essentially goes out of play for a throw-in directly on the halfway line. If you look at the, the footage, it's literally on the halfway line. Um, the free kick ends up going out of play. I think if you look at the grass, it's about eight yards. 
Um, some people are a bit hyperbole about it and say it's about 15 yards. Some are saying it's one or two yards. It's not one or two yards. It's about eight yards. Um, I'm going to say how I feel and then I'll leave it back to you, Rob, to see how you feel. To me, the distance that he steals, I don't think I'm, I'm that bothered about. I don't think I can get that excited about because it happens every single game. I can't remember the last time that players actually took a throw in from right where they, the, the free kick went, sorry, the, the throw in went out. And actually we do it all the time as well. Um, Westwood and um, Lawton are two of the biggest culprits in our team. Whenever they can steal five or six yards, they will do. So you can't, you can't whinge at that because everybody does it. And actually, it, it, when you look at it in real time, I don't think he steals that much that much space, to be honest. The issue for me is the role that the fourth official plays in this whole incident. If you're an official, be it a linesman, a referee, the fourth official, whoever you are, you do not touch that ball. But instead, the ball comes out and Deitch has admitted that it was a human reaction and the ref, the fourth official realised a mistake he'd make as soon as he did. He collects a ball and he throws it to Danny Rose, who's running towards him. Now, what that then, hap- that then means is that Rose is already running when he catches the ball and he just carries on and sees the opportunity to take the quick free kick. So that may- therefore means that he does go a little bit further down the pitch because the momentum's taken him there, but it also gives him the opportunity to take the advantage of a very quick free kick. If the fourth official does not touch that ball and it runs out, Danny Rose has to run over, he stops, he either picks up the ball himself or somebody on his bench passes it to him or one of the ball boys passes it to him. He then walks back to the line and his feet are stationary and he has stopped. In that 20 seconds, 10 seconds even, that it takes for that momentum to be taken off. The Burnley players have switched back on and they have moved back into position. And he doesn't get the... He might still steal five yards because everybody does, but he doesn't have the pace and the ability to throw as far because he's not running while he's he's throwing it. And I think the whole thing plays out differently. So, Robert, where do you sit with that? Are you more concerned with them stealing the yards? Are you more concerned with the fourth official? I guess back me up here. What you know? What what just was wrong with that? Yeah, you you basically just said what I was about to mention. It's the fact that the four, the four official interferes when he's not allowed to, and then because because Danny Rose is already running, the momentum that he generates to throw the ball that far just allows Harry Kane just to run onto the loose ball and. I, I, yeah, like like you say, most every single every single player will gain a few yards when they take a throw in. Um, but it's it's the fact that he's he's actually like sprinting. He's literally sprinting with a ball in his hands, and he literally whizzes it just into Harry Kane. And Ben Ben me at that point, it's either he hacks him down for a penalty and gets sent off, or you just gotta hope that Harry Kane can't put it into the only place he can put it. But he's a world class striker, and he does. Because uh, I think you have to give Harry Kane, uh, Harry, sorry, Harry Kane credit. It is a terrific like finish, but yeah, the, the four officials just got one horribly, horribly wrong. And like Dad said, it, it is like a human action. But thankfully, we did step up and we got a second goal. So I'm not going to uh, cry over it too much. Yeah, I'm still going to cry over it because <laughs> it always seems to happen to us. Um... Dave, taking aside the the free kick, it's uh, sorry the throwing itself, and and obviously the the controversy surrounding that. Um, 
I was a little bit disappointed about how much our defence went to sleep when the ball came into play. Um, very uncharacteristic for us in that particular game. I think it's probably the only mistake they made in the entire 90 minutes. Um, Phil Barsley was actually the only one who was switched off. And I think when you look at the, the replays, you can see him screaming at Ben Mee and saying, watch him, watch him, watch him. And obviously by the time the throw-in's done, it's far too late. Um I think for you, Dave, was that disappointing to see or do you think he just got done by a world-class striker? I think it's a combination. It's the, the fact that obviously they, they were able to, to take the throw in at speed from the place it shouldn't have been taken at. But then, as you say, that being said, we should still be defending it. And it was the one time in the game, really, um, that that we did switch off slightly. Now, it was it mentioned as well, I think... Um, uh, James Tarkovsky was interviewed after the match, and you know the, he was more than aware of it as you'd, ex, you'd expect him to be as a as a top player. Um, and it'll be something that the the players do learn from. And, and thankfully, as as Robbie's mentioned, at the end, you know we got the uh, we got the winning goal, and and we we can consign that to history. And it's not affected the uh, the game. You know either the um, the Burnley defence switching off for the one moment in the game they did, or the controversy that uh, that led to it in the first place. Yeah, definitely. But um, Dave, just picking up on something else that Robbie said, Ben, and I don't think enough people have really given him credit for this. Ben Mee could easily have, have brought down Harry Kane and got himself sent off. And I think he showed an incredible defensive intelligence to just realise, well, he's probably going to score here. Um, I'm better trying to stay in this game at 11 versus 11 and try and see if we can get another winner or at least take the point if we need to. It's still a fantastic point rather than bring him down, get myself sent off and then I'm not available for the Palace game and give ourselves a 10-man advantage. I think that was an incredibly smart piece of play. It was, yeah. I mean, it was one of those where, you know, even though Harry Kane's a top player, it's it's coming across from, from a position that's uh, a, a really uh, tight angle um, and there was literally one place in the corner where he could have um, could have scored it past Tom Heaton, and he did. He put it right in that position, which as a, a, a top striker, uh, they have a tendency to do. But it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Ben Mee was kind of up with him and did enough to try and put him off, but obviously not enough to put him off. Uh, anything more, you know, if it had clipped him, um, yeah, more than likely it'd have been sent off, and then it would have been a real uphill battle. So. Yeah, I think in in the instance, you know, they, these things do happen in an instant, um, and it was you know the right decision that was made by by Ben not to do anything more than that, even though it ended up with a with a goal. You know, at the end after that, uh, Burnley were able to recover from it and uh, and press on. So I think uh, when when Burnley scored from from that corner, we'd we'd done really well first half. It was nil nil. Um, Tottenham were probably the better side in the second half. Certainly had a lot more possession, a lot more of the play in their attacking half. Burnley didn't have as many chances in the second half, um, so to to do that and then come back, yeah, it, it was it was good, and, and we went up a gear. You know, after that, um, after the equaliser went in, Burnley were were the better side, um, pushing for that that goal, particularly with the positive substitution we've mentioned earlier on as well. The fact that we made a double substitution brought two players on with about ten minutes to go. Um, there've been other times when you know earlier in the season perhaps we wouldn't have been. As likely to make those sort of changes that we did, um, and yeah, the atmosphere, everything, the players really went pushed on, got that goal, and it was um, you know the, the the right result in the end. I think, but Burnley deserved it on the balance of uh, of play, even though the you know fewer passes, less possession, but it wasn't a real one sided game. Burnley were were really in it, 
Um, and to, to my mind, it was the, the 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 best performance we've had against any of the uh, top six sides since we've been back in the Premier League. Well said, Dave. I completely agree with everything you just said. That was very, very, very succinctly put. I like it. Um, final talking point then from the game, a couple of red card controversies. Um, depending on which camp you sit in, one was more obvious than the other. Dave, I will start with you first. A very early challenge by Foyth on Chris Wood. Um, both feet off the ground, which to me is a red card, but possibly redeemed himself just at the end by just pulling out of the tackle and therefore taking Chris Wood's knee with his knee. Red card or not? Uh, I, I think on balance after the event, then no, I think it's one of those that Sean Dyche uh, describes as maybe an orange and, and to his mind, those should be heard on the uh, safe side and, and be a, a yellow card. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that's a, a red card. I might have been saying, if you listen back to the uh, commentary, I probably said something different. But um, yeah, in <laughs> the cold light of day, uh, probably not. I love that. I love the fact that Dave is just so calm and so calculated and is a real voice of reason in my chaos, but every now and again also gets carried away with in, in-game moments. Um, Robbie, the second one, Phil Barsley's challenge on Danny Rose. Red or not? Uh, I think it's more of a red than the fight one. But <laughs> just <still> a bit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I, again, I don't think there's enough in it. I think I, I understand the argument behind it that he is coming in at it at pace. His leg is out full stretch, but I think Danny Rose is jumping as well, and I think that his leg just goes up with him. I don't, I don't think there's any. Uh, I don't think again. I think it's just an orange rather than a straight red. Interesting. Well. My view, for what it's worth, I completely agree with Dave in that the fourth challenge was probably a yellow slash orange. I have to disagree with Robbie. I hate doing it, Robbie. I'm so sorry. But I think uh, Phil Barsley is a very, very, very lucky boy today. And I I think it was a red. I'm sorry. Um so there's nothing else really to discuss from the, the game other than just a sense of absolute euphoria. I think Burnley fans came away from that game just in such a lovely mood because it wasn't it wasn't a hang on, it wasn't a lucky point, it wasn't a, a lucky win even. It was it was a really, really strong performance from a side that just looks miles away from that side that got absolutely battered on Boxing Day at Everton. And what an absolutely fantastic turnaround this season. Puts us now six points clear of the bottom three. Um, luckily, Southampton didn't manage to pull another shock result out of the bag against Arsenal and, and stayed on 24 points. Um, we're not out of it yet. I mean, obviously, six points could vanish. I think if we lost against both Palace and Newcastle um, the next two games coming up, we might find ourselves back in it. But certainly, life is looking a lot rosier than it was maybe five or six games ago. Um, Now, with that in mind, we do have those next two games coming up. Newcastle away um, Tuesday night. We are recording this final part of the podcast on Monday, so that is tomorrow. Um, And then at home to Palace on Saturday. Um, Dave, let's look at Newcastle first. And apologies if you are listening to this after the Newcastle game and we know whether we did it or not. Um, But let's have a look at it anyway. What what can we possibly expect from a head-to-head tomorrow night? Yeah, well, looking back on the uh, previous matches, it's a bit of a milestone match, really, is this one. Um, it's the 50th time we'll have played a league match at St James's Park. Um, and it's also the 100th league meeting between the two sides as well. So 
um, interesting one from that point of view. Um, we don't have the best of records at uh, Newcastle, certainly not in recent seasons. Um, we've had 14 wins in total, which is not too bad compared to some of the ones we've had this season. Um, but a lot of those wins were in the early days. When you look back, I think seven of those 14 wins were prior to the Second World War. So you know, we're going back to uh, games that you know, no one's going to remember uh, in any detail anyway. Um, so we have to come back to uh, a little bit more recent times for uh, for some better results. Um, starting off from World War II onwards, we had a, a, a 2-1 win in September 1946. Future manager Harry Potts scored two for Burnley. Um, and then we had a, a, a poor run then. We had, we had uh, nine matches, uh, six defeats and three draws. One of those was a, a cup defeat as well in 1954 uh, before Burnley got the next win, which was in April 1958. Uh, there was a 3-1 win. Um, and then Burnley also won at Newcastle in the title winning season as well, 1959-60. Early on that season in September, Burnley had a 3-1 win. Uh, Jimmy Mack scored a goal and John Kennelly got the other two. Um, the following season as well, early on 1960, uh, Jimmy Robson scored a goal for a 1-0 win. Um, and then we didn't have anything else through until the 1970s. Uh, we get to the mid-1970s. Uh, Burnley were in the FA Cup semi-final, got beaten by Newcastle at Hillsborough in the semi-final. In, it's the end of March 1974. Um, and then we had two further games at Newcastle after that. So we still haven't played them in the league. So literally uh, less than two weeks after the uh, uh, the heartbreak of the semi-final defeat in 1974, we went up to Newcastle and we beat them in the league uh, 2-1. Uh, Jeff Nulty and Martin Dobson scored the goals for Burnley. And then we also played them in a, a cup final. The Texaco Cup final took place uh, two weeks after that, 24th of April 1974. Um, but Newcastle came out on top. They won 2-1 with uh, Paul Fletcher scoring Burnley's uh, consolation goal in uh, in that one. Uh, and then going forward, uh, we, we go forward to 1976, which was 1975-76 uh, season, was Burnley's last one in the top flight before a 33-year gap. Um, and we had a 1-0 win. Peter Noble, who's uh, uh, Sunderland-born, but actually started his career at Newcastle, he scored the only goal in a 1-0 win for, for Burnley in April 1976. But by then, it was pretty much too late. Burnley were stranded and we were relegated that season. Um, we haven't played Newcastle too many times since then. There's only been uh, five other games uh, we've had uh, in the uh, second division, or yeah, it was the second division before the Premier League came about in the late 70s and early 80s. We had two defeats and a draw. And then a big gap between 1982 and uh, 2015 before we actually played them again at Newcastle. Um, New Year's Day 2015 was an interesting game. Uh, finished 3-3. Burnley had to make all uh, three substitutions in the first half uh, through uh, injuries. Um, Kevin Long came on for his uh, Burnley debut um, and then got injured himself. He did his uh, cruciate, went off and had to be... Um, well, we had to have a, a, a real change around to, to try and accommodate a, a back four from what we had left. But we, we managed to come back and we won 3-3. Uh, George Boyd scored the uh, the third goal in, in that game. Uh, and then going back to last season, we played them uh, end of January. 
that was a 1-1 draw and Burnley uh, got a, an own goal from uh, Darlow was credited with the goal in the end um, to make it 1-1. So we've we've not won at Newcastle since 1976, so we might be due one. I like that. We do one. I was about to start start that new piece with that. Oh God, Dave, give us some good news. But you're right. You know what? We do one. Spurs. We didn't think we had any chance of beating them at home. We're just going to go to Newcastle and we're going to stop them in their tracks and we're going to win. Um, Robbie, taking aside Dave's quite upsetting stats. Um, what's your gut feeling about tomorrow night? It's going to be a really tough game. In fact, the next two are going to be really tough. What do you? What's your gut telling you? What do you think we'll do? Uh, yeah, like I say, it's a tough one because Newcastle are on a quite a decent run of form. Uh, like I say, they're all a little bit excited over Miguel Almiron, who's uh, joining from Atlanta, who's, who looks a real uh, real threat from midfield. Um, both sides relatively solid. I don't think either side will want to lose it, so I'm going to go for a nil-nil draw. I think I'd probably take that, to be honest. I think a, a draw away at Newcastle would be a pretty a fine result, as Deitch would say. Um, Dave, what are you feeling? I, I feel like we must be absolutely flying in confidence. And uh, I, I don't know. I feel like we can get something from the game. Do you not think so? Yeah, I think we, we can build on the uh, performances we've had and we, we don't really fear anyone. I mean, it's a, a, a tough game. We know it's going to be tough. We don't have a good record up there. Um, and it's probably going to be a cagey game with uh, Newcastle being uh, just a couple of points behind us after beating Newcastle on Saturday. So a draw, yeah, I mean, both sides would love to have three points, but a, a, a point uh, gets both of us a little bit further away from the team beneath us. So... Uh, yeah, I'll go for a 1-1. That, that'll be my prediction for uh, for Tuesday night. I like it. I, I'm happy to do that. I'm, I'm going up to Newcastle tomorrow night, so I'm going to do my best to cheer them on as much as I can. Um, obviously, we're not going to have... I don't think we're going to look too much at stats for, for Saturday, um, but obviously by the time our next recording comes around, we'll have played both Newcastle and Palace. Um, Dave, I, I kind of have a similar feeling to the Palace game on Saturday as I do for Newcastle, but both of these games are games that we could easily win but could easily lose as well. It, it looks to me like Newcastle Palace and Burnley have got themselves slightly ahead of the bottom players. If you take, well, I guess if you assume that um, Fulham and Huddersfield are down now, um, it seems like there's a bit of a straight shootout between Cardiff, Brighton and Southampton. It just feels like Burnley, Palace and Newcastle have maybe just got their noses in front a little bit. Um, so it, we could easily lose, but easily win. Yeah, it's changed around quite a bit. So when you're looking at particularly the, uh, the the betting odds for uh, for Southampton, they were out sort of fifteen twenty to one. You're thinking, well, you know, they're they're only like a point or so ahead of where Burnley were. But you know, maybe at that time they were factoring in the fact that new manager had come in and their their performances and results had turned around a little bit. Um, they've gone a little bit backwards since then, and uh, the odds have changed around. You can get twelve to one now for for Burnley to. Uh, be relegated. So if there's any pessimistic Burnley fans out there, stick 30 quid on Burnley to be relegated. P.S. It's not going to happen. Um, and that just about pays for your season ticket for next year. <laughs> Gamble responsible. Um, <laughs> Robbie, final word from you then. What would you consider a decent result from the next two games from Newcastle and Palace? Well, it's interesting because before the Spurs game, I said I'd take four points from like Spurs... Newcastle and Palace, but now we've already got three. I'd be kind of disappointed if we only got four. So I think if we got, I'd say, I'd say a point at Newcastle, and we, I think we have to beat Palace to consider the home side. I think we have to beat Palace. So we've got four points for our next two. 
I think I'd be re- absolutely delighted with that. Yeah, I would as well. And that would, of course, put us on 10 games unbeaten, which would just be crazy. Considering the start we had and considering some of the teams that we've had to play in this 10-game this run, that would just be amazing. And I, I share both of your optimism, actually. I, I genuinely think we can make it now 10 games unbeaten. Let's hope that's the case. Um, That is all we have time for this week. Um, We are all ecstatic. It's been an absolutely fantastic weekend. One of those weekends that just puts everybody in a good mood and everybody's pulling together and everybody's celebrating the fact that we've got something special with these players. And they've had a really rough time this season and Deitch has had a rough time. He's had to put up with a lot of stick. He's had questions asked of his managerial style, quite rightly, I think, at times. Um, But he's answered them and and we wanted him to turn it around and we wanted him to, to put us all back on track and he has done that and, and what a fantastic end to the season and let's just hope now we've just done enough to just retain our Premier League status this season and then we can really push on next year and see where else um, it can take us. As ever, we've got plenty of people to thank for this week's episode. Um, thanks to Roberto and Statman Dave for joining me this week and just chatting through the, the key topics of the week and also managing to keep me very calm and not get excited and think that we're going to end up in Europe by the end of the season. Um, thanks to our producer, Matt, for editing us and making us sound a lot better than we are. Thanks, Matt. And also there's been quite a few production things this week as well, so sorry about that, Matt. Um, thanks again, as ever, to you for, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is so very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. We will be back in a week's time to to look back at an away game at Newcastle and a home game at Palace and hopefully 10 games unbeaten. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Never podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.